I'm looking out today as we're singing, I'm thinking, I don't even know how you could remain seated. The glory of God manifests himself here all the time. Yes, he does. The oil anointing of God comes down all the time if you're looking for it. you got to be looking for it. If you're looking for something else, you'll find it. If you're looking for something to complain about, or some reason to be unhappy, or some reason you should be upset about something, you'll find that. But when you come expecting to experience the glory of God, it does something in you. It does something that nothing else can do. I promise you it does. Do not respond to things in life out of your feelings. They lie. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You will feel like doing something else. But when you know to listen to God's word, all of a sudden, the glory of God changes your feelings. Is that true? It is true. God is in the house. He's like smoke. He's like the Holy Ghost that comes and works in your life and stirs you up and gets you to think about who are you really serving? What are you really seeing? What are you expecting to get today? Because God has shown up. You just need to. My message is entitled, Jumping for Joy Instead of Off of a Cliff. Wouldn't you rather jump for joy than off some cliff? I see people sitting here during... That la- a new name written down in glory, and I'm thinking they're sitting there. They're, they're like, prove it. Prove it. God is in the house. We don't need to prove it. Where two or three are gathered together, there in their midst is the Lord. And we're gathered together because we want to experience God this morning. There is a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, and it's yours. And it's somebody else this last week. And I, I went to the hospital because last week we had baptismal service. And Mike, in his, I don't know, about 30-ish, maybe late 20s, came to be baptized. And I, I was getting ready to put him down in the water. And I said, are you married? And he just paused for a second and said, got a girlfriend. So I laid him back in the water. As I laid him back, I looked over and I saw a lady that was emotional. And I figured, oh, it must be a relative of his. She was very emotional right now. Come to find out that someone uh, assaulted her several years ago, tried to choke her to death, but she didn't die. But it seriously damaged her neck. She had had three surgeries up until last Sunday. The last surgery, they put a big metal plate in her neck, but infection set in. And so she was over there weeping Weeping because she grew up in the Baptist church and she knew what salvation was, but she drifted away. It happens all the time. She drifted away from God and her boyfriend was with her in their 40s. I didn't know any of their story until later I found out that she left the service because she had to go have surgery on her neck. It was so bad. So Casey and I talked and we decided we should go visit her. Went there Tuesday, walked into the room, and there is another lady in there with a couple adults talking to her. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be tough, God. It's going to be tough. May the glory of God come down in this room. May the light of Jesus shine into this room to heal this woman from her spiritual state, first of all. Find out where that is. We went over, Casey and I, and stood alongside, and her 
boyfriend was there, and he started telling us a story about what's going on in their world. And all I could think about was because she said, I don't even know if I'll make it out of here. They had taken and cut a piece of her hip bone out about this big. That alone would have to be unbelievably painful. They took that bone and put it in her neck so that somehow thinking that maybe I don't know if the white or the red blood cells would attach and heal that part of her neck. And she knew that she might never get out of there. My number one concern is she's got to get out of here alive in glory. No matter what way, she has to go on. And I just thought we have just a few moments. We only have these few moments to talk to her. And her boyfriend kept interrupting, telling us their story. And finally, I just said, would you like to do this today? And she said, yes. Shoved the cart out of the way, went around the side of her bed, put my hand on her hand as we joined. And she prayed and came into the kingdom of God at 2.42. At 2.42 on October 2nd in the year 2019, a lady came into glory. A new name was written down in glory. Yes, a new name was written down in glory at 242, and all of the angels of heaven rejoiced miraculously. Too many of us can't rejoice today because we don't see how good God is, and we're caught up in all the things that are surrounding our life that are really just big distractions. Yes. My text is Philippians chapter 4. I'm leaving Tuesday night at 8.30 with five other guys to go to Africa. We're going to Watoto where the kids come and have the choir. I have not been to Africa. I've been to many other places, but we'll be flying on Turkish Airlines. And the guys yesterday were telling me, yeah, last week Turkish Airlines was in, in the news because a bunch of the outside panels on the plane blew off. I'm like... That's really encouraging. <laughs> I haven't even told the other guys that yet. So I was searching online wondering what happened to that plane. Had to make it because I didn't hear about it crashing. But does God not have us in his hands? Now, you have come into the room this morning maybe, like maybe seriously wondering where God is or what he wants for you or why you don't feel the joy of the Lord this morning. And I'm telling you, you cannot trust your feelings. You've got to trust the glory of God in the gospel. That if you accept what Christ did on the cross, you are changed. You are a new creation in Christ. Isn't that worth shouting about? Second row worth shouting about? Second row, just second row. Yes? Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Wonderful. All right. Wow. He's worth getting excited about. And the visiting people are going, all right. Yes, I thought he was insane, and now I'm pretty sure. Okay. Stick around. It gets worse. <laughs> no, my text today is Philippians chapter 4, and I didn't want to preach on the first few verses because in reality they appear to be rather negative. Because actually Paul starts out by talking about two women in the church that are struggling. Judea and Syntyche are having some kind of a, a problem. And Paul hears about it. Remember, Paul's in jail, in prison. And he's a long ways from Philippi. 
where he's writing the letter to those people over there in Philippi. And he's in prison, I mean, fighting for his life to survive. And of all things, he's talking about a couple ladies in the church who can't get along. You know what God told me this weekend? Die to yourself. You want to see the glory of God? Die to self. I, I listed some things that I think are the hindrances to experiencing God fully. Number one, selfishness. It's saying, I want what I want, and you want what you want, and we just don't get along together. So if I can't have what I want, I'm going to separate from you, and that's it. And you know what God wants? He wants you to want what he wants, and what he wants is to get along with your brothers and sisters. What he wants is you to apologize. What he wants is you to have joy. What he wants is to, is that right? Yes. God wants unity. Who cares if we disagree on some things, right? Political things, people say you shouldn't talk about politics. You know, I always get in trouble because I always do. But I'm going to say this for a fact. Political things will not me, make me be divided from my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ. It shouldn't. If we love God, we can still get along. One man this week that hasn't been coming anymore said, I gave you three strikes and you're out. Yeah, he gave me three strikes. I didn't even know I had any strikes. I thought I was still running on balls. I was hoping to get on first. I'm not kidding. I was hoping to get on first. I can always tell when a baseball player is up there and he's scared to death that he's not going to hit the ball and he's just praying, one more ball, God, one more ball. At least I'll get on base, right? I didn't even get on base. A lot of people come in, they don't even give me a chance to get on base. That's why if you think I'm radical and crazy the first week you come, come six weeks and you'll be sure of it. I'm positive. I am absolutely positive. Selfishness gets in the way all the time. You remember James said it. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle inside of you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill, you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God to cut out the selfish garbage in your life. Number two thing, first selfishness. Number two is resentment. We just can't get over something that happened. We just feel like uh, resentment actually says, I won't forgive you. We hurt each other in relationships, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But because we deal with human beings, we must misunderstand each other, and we have conflict. You are not even going to have your own spouse agree with you on everything. Correct? Married people, correct? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. You see, what you don't know is all these empty seats, they were on their way here. <laughs> they had a little fight in the car. You ever have a fight on Sunday? Oh, oh, by the way, any parent that has children deserves a medal this morning for getting here. Because Nick and Lexi are away. They've been away since Wednesday. We've had Sailor since Friday morning. Oh, my gosh, it's heaven. I love that girl so much. It's crazy. And, you know, even while they were gone, she just started walking all over the place like crazy. They missed out. Now she was walking a little bit, but now she's walking all over the place. But this morning I was pretty convinced 
old people should not have babies. <laughs> nah. Old people should not have babies. God help us learn that. And once in a while, a slipperoo gets in there, and you're like 50 years old, and you have a baby. You feel like Sarah. It's like, honey, I'm pregnant. And he goes, what? You know what I'm saying? It's like, old people shouldn't have babies. I heard Sailor sleeps on her little play thing or whatever that little thing is called. My wife has all that stuff down. In our little guest bathroom upstairs, that's where we put her. And I heard her last night. One time during the middle of the night, she started to like whining stuff. And I thought, Jesus, take the wheel, please. Jesus, go into the bathroom right now. Go in the bathroom, take the wheel. I'm too tired. Old people, that's one of my points. Old people should not have babies. And bravo to all the people who come to church that do have babies. You know, the Bible says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile all kinds of other people. You know how you stop defilement of other people? Stop gossiping, talking, and say good things and make things right. I had to apologize before the whole praise team today because I was not very nice to somebody yesterday, somebody I deeply love, and today was awesome. We are not willing to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and think, well, I'm never going to apologize because she's wrong or he's wrong or they're wrong. No. We all have a responsibility to one another not to defile a lot of people, not to defile them and not to defile a lot of other people. It says in the scripture, he who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind and the fool will be servant to the wise. If there's anything I've learned through the years is be quiet. Stop talking. Yes, the fool utters his whole mouth. The wise man keeps it until afterwards. After when? I've said that for years. After when? When am I supposed to be able to say what I want to say? After when? You know what's going to happen? Between now and afterwards, you're going to think clearly about the consequences of your words. Yes, 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 yes. Words hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And you've been hurt and I've been hurt. But we could go around having little hurt parties, or we can have a little, let's give it up to God, right? Let's give it up and apologize. The third thing this morning is not selfishness or resentment, it's fear. A lot of people live their lives and respond totally out of fear. Fear says, I don't trust you anymore. Maybe because you've been hurt. Fear will say, the people who really struggle with relationships are overrun quite often by fear. Well, what will happen if I'll just let loose and, and share how I'm really, what's going on in my life? What will happen, Pastor? And I can guarantee you this. Everyone, every man, woman, and young person in this room needs love. And everyone needs encouragement. And everyone needs apologies once in a while. It is so freeing. Listen. That's what the video by John Piper was saying. I, I, I'm, I promise you this. What he was saying is this. If you will go to God wanting and desiring to know more of God's glory, you will forget all that other stuff. And the glory of God will change you. I would say this. Purity has a way of changing you. Making things right with other people has a way of changing you. 
Forgiving your spouse changes you. Forgiving your parents changes you. Talking to people that you don't feel like talking to changes you. My, uh, this has been a catastrophic week for me in many, many ways because all the way since last Sunday, God has done a lot of things in my life and other people's lives. And so I wake up Tuesday morning. No, it was Wednesday morning. And I have a brother that's 20 years old, and he is, um, was born when I was off in college, Bible college, studying. And I was chosen to go travel the country and represent the school musically and preach. And I was away when my mom, they had a, after all the precautions stopped, they had one of those babies. It's like a late baby, a late bloomer. And so my brother Tim was raised on the farm. There are five of us siblings. My brother Tim was raised on the farm, all of us. And somehow he became dad's choice farmer boy, and the rest of us went off other ways. And so my brother... Um, basically inherited everything. He has all the farms, cottage, all the equipment and everything. And it's offered an opportunity for me to be bitter and my brother to be bitter, my older brother. And my older brother's gotten bitter about it. My dad is 93 in a nursing home. I really don't care. I'm rich. I don't need one thing. And I don't say that bitterly. I don't need one thing. I'm so rich, I can't even explain it. I'm rich in this way. I have a wife who is such a godly woman and stands behind me and alongside me with me, and I have kids that actually love me. And by the way, even when you don't agree with everything with your kids, parents, listen, you still love them. You will not win them by being mean. You don't win anyone by being mean. And every time, if I'm, if I'm looking for the glory of God, every time I'm mean to somebody, God says, that is not at all who you are, Gary. You need to go apologize. It doesn't hurt to apologize. It heals. Even I, I used to, I grew up in a house where my dad was so abusive. It was crazy. And I used to literally wait for the day that I was old enough to beat the crap out of him. And the day came. They, he actually came to our home. And in all of my college years, all of my married life, my dad has only written me two letters, had only been to see me once. In all those years, it would give me legitimate reason to be bitter. Well, no, I don't want to be. I want to I have the glory of God revealed inside of me because it heals. Forgive, forgive, forget. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And God has a way of doing stuff. Because my brother contacted me last year and just said, we, we want to come and see you. And he did, my younger brother, who stole our inheritance. This, this week on Wednesday morning, I woke up. I didn't look at my phone right away, and I didn't notice that he texted me from IHOP. I never go there, so I don't like IHOP. Now I just offended all the eyehoppers. I don't even know who eats there. I think you get a lot for your money. A lot of sawdust, saw, sausages. So there's, there's sawdust that have been made in the shape of a sausage and dipped in grease. Don't you think so? All the people are like, 
Well, you're just a snob. No, I shop at Walmart all the time. Don't even go there. You can make it out of Walmart. You should be eating at IHOP. But anyway, long story short, I don't even know how I get off on that stuff. It's, just, it's crazy. My brother calls and says, we're at, I realize that we're very close to your house. We're at IHOP eating breakfast on Wilson. And I'm like, what the heck? So I text him back right away and say, well, what are you doing here? And he goes, oh, I'm up. I'm going up to northern Michigan to buy a piece of machinery because he farms 600 acres. And I just thought, we're so close to you. And I was like, yippee, God. Today's my day. Mm-hmm. Today's my day to prove to God that I refuse to be bitter. Yeah. Refuse to be bitter. Somebody in here needs to be listening because you won't let it go. You're afraid that if you let it go, you'll be compromising somehow. No, you won't. You'll be blessed. You need to let it go. Let it go. So my wife wanted to, he wanted to come over and see the church, and he brought his 25-year-old son, TJ, who is not married but has a girlfriend because TJ's never met me. And he said, TJ wanted to meet his Uncle Gary, and he's always wanted to, and so I wanted to bring him here. And I am not making this up. I took him because he wanted to see the church. I took him through the place, and they were taking pictures the whole time. This is amazing. You know what? I just want to say this. I want to say, thank you, Lord, because I'm really rich. Ooh, I am so rich. Aren't you? I am so rich because I just get to do ministry, and I get to look into your eyes and your hearts. And by the way, I was sharing out of the Circle Maker book, which I've been really kind of consuming what Batterson has to say about a lot of things. And he says... That you can see into the eyes of the soul when you look in people's eyes. You can read them. Yes. Yes, you can. He calls it priming. You prime when you look into things. Priming is this. I look around to see where you're at today. And even as I'm preaching, I look around to see where you're at in your eyes, in your body language, and it tells me exactly where to go. Can you not meet people and know right off the bat that they're hurting? Right? I, I, this is what I think about my brother and his son. I think that they think I'm really rich. And I am. Even the fact that I get to stand here, I do not deserve this. But I'm blessed. And so are you. And if you admit it this morning, you know that you are blessed. Fear does three things to relationships. Makes me defensive, number one. I got to hurry, but it makes me very defensive. It makes me not want to admit that I'm wrong. You know what God would want you to do? If you know that the situation that you're facing is very tense and there's something wrong, you need to do everything possible within your power to bring resolution to the situation. And even if you're not wrong, you should still be willing to address the situation and try to make it right. Would you agree? Makes me defensive. Makes me distant. Distant. All of a sudden, you know they're not talking to you anymore. 
She's not talking to you. You're trying to figure out what's wrong. And obviously you've done something, but they don't want to talk about it. And so what are you going to do if they don't want to talk about it? There's nothing you can do. And the next thing you find is they've gone off the deep end and gone out because they were just so hurt. Throw that down the toilet today and just go to them and say, I just want to love you. Yes. My wife and I had primary opportunity yesterday to feel hurt about something that took place, and we made this decision. The fool utters his whole mouth, but a wise man keeps it until afterwards. It's not worth it to say a single word. Is God big enough to deal? Is he? Is God big enough that he can see into your situation and say, I've got this, don't worry, I'll bring this back around. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. May the glory of God be revealed in those things to us. That is what Jesus was trying to teach through the entire New Testament in the Gospels. He was trying to get us to understand this, that love does win. Yes, love does win. What good is a church that throws everybody out for everything? What good is a church that drives everybody out because we don't feel they're somehow matching up to our expectations? How about this? How about just let's just have a day of apology. I'm sorry. And go to people that we need to go to and say, I'm sorry. The we took my brother to the famous Dutch eatery, Russ's. He wanted to go for lunch. And I love Russ's. I know I don't like IHOP, but I do love Russ's. Russ's, is, Russ's has some incredible stuff, very reasonable. A half a Reuben sandwich and a great big salad for $7.49. Their salad dressing is incredible. I would go there just to drink it. Not kidding. It's so good. The ranch and a French. And anybody mix their ranch and French together? Anybody? How about the? Okay. Jesus. See, we should have a small group for ranch and Frenchers. Yeah. So we do have things in common, don't we? Who are the ranch and Frenchers again? Raise your hand. After the service today. No, I'm just kidding. What? Yeah, no, it's not on me. <laughs> Good luck, but I'm not that nice. <laughs> Good try, yeah. No, that's not going to happen, probably. <laughs> Trying to think of how I'm going to eat today. <laughs> Fear makes me distant. We ought to be close. You shouldn't walk up to each other and be afraid. And one other thing, fear makes me demanding. It's my way or not, or I'm going to have a little pouting fest here. Oops, step back, Pastor. You want to make a lot of ladies mad? I don't know why. There's always more cattiness with women. Now, we did have almost 60 ladies because I spoke this last Wednesday night. We had about 60 ladies here, which was, yeah, yeah. But we have about 80 guys on Monday nights. Tomorrow night, I'll still be here. We got to get it together. Yeah, we got to love one another and find out what we have in common rather than what separates us, right? There is... there. The Shermans have to sit there all the time because Susan's always agreeing with me and smiling, and I'm okay then. Or I love it when Ed says amen in the past. I don't know if he disappeared and left the service. Is he here? Oh, you're over there. Ed, you got to be cheering me on even if you don't like it. Oh, you have been. Okay. So 
You know this is true. You know that even when you go into your job, you're hoping that there'll be some bright spot, right? Someone that'll be nice, someone that'll be loving instead of everybody being on a downer trip. Be that kind of person. What's the secret to overcoming all these killjoys, these things that squeeze the joy out of a relationship? The secret of joy in relationships. Oh, wow. I remember reading an illustration years ago that I think is so typical. It was a letter sent from a college student to her parents. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dorm was set on fire by the demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say my eyesight should return sooner or later. This wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised, Mom, when I tell you that we're going to be married. In fact, since you've always wanted a grandchild, you'll be glad to know that next month you'll be grandparents. <laughs> On the bottom of the letter, it said, please disregard the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry. And I wanted to be sure that you received the news in the proper perspective. Right? Isn't that, you know why that's so funny? Because that is the way it is. Isn't it? It's so funny because it's actually the way it is. So my wife was a school, a kindergarten teacher for 17 years. We both have a degree in education. I was in elementary education. Uh, you were too, weren't you, honey? Elementary ed? Yeah. And so um, we're teachers. I'm so glad I have my wife because she has been with our kids. You're going to get good grades. My parents didn't care if I flunked because then I could be a farmer. Oops, they just offended all the farmers. <laughs> They're not all dumb, by the way. You have to be pretty smart to be a farmer nowadays. You honestly do. God bless the farmers. Did that win you back? Okay, all right, good. You'd be surprised how many people get offended in one week. Yeah, we should just have one pastor dedicated to offenses. Right? <laughs> Nobody wants that job. Um, this, this illustration was powerful. My brother Kevin lives, or God lives under the bed. My brother Kevin thinks that God lives under his bed. At least that's what I heard him say one night. He was praying out loud in his dark bedroom, and I stopped outside his closed door to listen. Are you there, God? He said, where are you? Oh, I see. You're under the bed. I giggled softly and tiptoed off to my own room. Kevin's unique perspectives are often a source of amusement. But that night, something else lingered along with the humor. I realized for the first time the very different world that Kevin, my brother, lives in. He was born 30 years ago, mentally disabled as a result of difficulties during labor. Apart from his size, he's six foot two, and in a few ways in which he's an adult, he reasons and communicates with the capabilities of a seven-year-old, and he, and he always will. He'll probably always believe that God lives under the bed, that Santa Claus is the one who fills the space under our tree, and that airplanes stay up in the air because angels carry them. I remember wondering if Kevin realizes he is different. Is he ever dissatisfied with his monotonous life? And up before dawn each day, off to work at a workshop for the disabled, 
home to walk our Cocker Spaniel, return to eat his favorite macaroni and cheese for dinner, and later to bed. The only variation in the entire scheme is laundry. When he hovers excitedly over our washing machine like a mother with her newborn child, he does not seem dissatisfied. He lopes out into the bus every morning at 7.05, eager for a day of simple work. He wrings his hands excitedly while the water boils on the stove before dinner, and he stays up late twice a week to gather our dirty laundry for his next day's laundry chores. And, by the way, Saturdays? Oh, the bliss of Saturdays. That's the day when my dad takes Kevin to the airport to have a soft drink, watch the plane lands, and speculates loudly on the destination of each passenger inside. That one's going to Chicago, Kevin shouts as he claps his hands. His anticipation is so great he can hardly sleep on Friday nights. And so goes the world of daily rituals and weekend field trips. He doesn't know what it means to be discontent. God, please forgive me for being discontent when I have all the capacity that God has given me to enjoy life. I can see. I can hear. I can taste. I can walk. I can use my hands. Josiah and I were talking the other day. My dad cut his thumb off. Um, after I was in college, we on our farm, we have big, tall, blue harvester silos. If you're a farmer, you know what I'm talking about. At the bottom of the silo is a place where you can put the corn that doesn't turn out so good that year when you make it into silage. And so my dad went out because it seemed clogged and it wasn't shooting the corn up like it should. And so he reached in there to pull silage out and he saw red all over all of the silage and just realized that his thumb was completely gone, sliced clear off like that. He grabbed his thumb, put his, all of the pressure he could on his, on his hand and ran to the house. And he ran into the house and you, many of you have heard this story, I know, you'd be bored with it one more time. He ran into the kitchen and my mom was standing there in front of the stove and he just said, get me some ice. I cut my finger off, and she said, sure you did, because he was always messing around. That's where I get that from. And she turned around and almost fainted as he handed her his thumb. She proceeded to make finger sandwiches. No, kidding. <laughs> I had to throw that in. That's not, uh, it's a true story except for that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She was pretty, she was pretty taken back. Well, they live in a small town in Wisconsin called Watertown. It's where I actually went to Bible college. And they went to their local hospital, which is only a couple miles away. And they said, we can't do that. That's intense surgery. We can't. We cannot sew that back on. So they had to drive 45 minutes to Milwaukee. They got there, and another guy had just had his same thumb cut off. My dad had to wait 10 hours for that guy's surgery, and my dad was in there 10 hours. The other guy's thumb did not take, and my dad's did. He still has it to this day at 93 years old without his, his finger on it. Josiah and I were talking in the car about how life would be without our thumb. Ever tried that? Try picking this up. I don't want to. I mean, you could do it. But we also were commenting to each other how interesting it is how people who have some kind of physical impairment compensate for that in other ways, don't they? It's amazing what you can do with this up here when you're thinking. you got to think. 
You've got to think of how grateful you ought to be today. Everything is a matter of perspective. Focus on giving rather than receiving. And everything I did, Paul said, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Is it more blessed to give than receive? Isn't it amazing to give someone? We are going to Africa. We're taking a bunch of candy. We're taking a bunch of stuffed animals, taking a bunch of beanie babies and stuff with us to give because we actually want to go to the metal city where it's all just shacks made out of metal. We're almost all of the children that are in Watoto are parentless children who have grown up in the slums and have no way to make it in life. And God bless the couple who went from Canada years ago and started this. And now there are thousands of black children who are being taken care of. They have a ministry to single mothers. I think it's eight or 900 single moms will be go visiting, going to visit. It's just awesome when you give them something, how appreciative they are for it. I'm going to skip over, you guys, to page 11. I want to talk about marriage for a moment. I have a video I want to share in a moment, but I want to talk about marriage because I think one of the most difficult areas to find joy in, believe it or not, is marriage. Too much of this instead of being one. Here are five steps to a cold marriage. You know this is exactly how it goes. First year, baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle that you had. I've called the paramedics to take you to the hospital for a checkup and some rest. I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm going to bring you some dinner from Olive Garden. Second year, true story, sweetheart, from baby darling to sweetheart. I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Johnson to make a house call. Let me tuck you in bed. I'll clean up the house and do the dishes. Third year, you look like you may have a fever. Why don't you drive yourself down to the bed center and get some medicine? I'll watch the kids. Fourth year. Look, be sensible about this. After you fed the kids and cleaned the house, you ought to go to bed. Fifth year. For Pete's sake, would you stop blowing your nose? <laughs> Sounds like a foghorn. I can't even hear the TV. <laughs> you know, this wouldn't even be funny if it wasn't true. It's so true. It's so true how this, oh, this amazing person was so wonderful when you were dating, and now they, they mean almost nothing to you in some respects. So I, I would say it's, it's very, very important. I, I missed the, the point I was making there. Focus on giving rather than receiving, right? Okay, if you try this today. When you're tempted to expect something, flip it around and give instead of receiving. With your spouse, it doesn't cost you anything to write a little note. It doesn't cost you anything to look at your spouse. One of my, one of my things that I do when I'm counseling couples that are getting married, look in the eyes of your spouse and tell me if you see love. And so do that right now. Look over in the eyes of your spouse and tell me if you still see love. Vince keeps the fires brewing. Of course I do, baby. Maria's like, if you only knew. Vince is, yeah. Yeah. 34 years yesterday, yeah. Awesome. 
because they have a swimming pool, and Marie comes out in a swimming suit, and he goes, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> She's sizzling hot. Right? Wow. So, yeah, focus on giving rather than receiving. Focus, number two, on healing rather than hurting. Focus on healing rather than hurting. It's not over. It's not over. God wants you to stay together. This little video says it all. Even if we both break down tonight And you say you hate me And we go to bed angry I know everything will be alright I'll be here waiting I promise I'm changing I just need A little time to show you I'm worth it I know that I can be a difficult person I'm a stress case Drop you up the wall when I'm working Actually, I'm probably worse when I'm not You don't deserve it Make you nervous Cause you know I'm a break soon Every time I do I say something that hurts you Acting like I'm gone But we both in the same room I don't like to be wrong Which I know you relate to And I know I make you feel Like you're at the end of your road That's when I look at you And tell you I'll be better alone Just a pride talking Isn't it? Cause both of us know I'm the definition of wreck If you look into my soul Comes out the most When I feel I'm in a vulnerable place Made a lot of mistakes I wish I knew how to erase When I'm afraid Might get distant And I push you away But no matter Go to bed angry I know everything 
Remember, remember how you felt when you first spotted that person and you lit up. Remember. It doesn't just apply to marriage. It applies to relationships. Why let the enemy steal the love we once had for each other? Why? Don't give in. Focus on healing rather than hurting. Focus on being a healer. It says in Colossians 3, bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then Romans 5, it says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Persevere, because it's a long obedience in the same direction. I've been married 44 years. It wasn't all pretty. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I don't want to live if I don't have my wife. I don't want to live. My heart goes out to people who would like to have seen their marriage maintained and really but not even necessarily because of them something has happened and they don't have a spouse. It's amazing to have someone who loves you. It's absolutely amazing. Work on healing rather than hurting. And one last thing, focus on God's power rather than on my problems. Psalm 62 says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to God, for God is our refuge. Prime the pump with your words. Prime the pump with your actions with your body language, with reaching over and touching your spouse and letting them know that you still love them. Why? Because when you think about how good God is to you, you're overwhelmed. Yes, you are. You are overwhelmed because God is with me, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you away. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Because, secondly, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for every person in this room. It is never too late. Are you with me? It's never too late for God to work. Number three, because God will help me. The fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians. Joy is one of the fruit. It comes when we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You know how hard it is to humble yourself and apologize and initiate the apology? Remember, these three things focus on giving rather than receiving, on healing rather than hurting, and on God's power rather than my problems. One last thing that made me cry this week, big time. I sat as I was studying, and I read this illustration out of the by, by Robert Peterson called the Sandpiper. She was six years old when I first met her on the beach near where I live. I drove to this beach a distance of three or four miles whenever the world began to close in on me. She was building a sandcastle or something and looked up. Her eyes were as blue as the sea. Hello, she said. I answered with a nod. Not really in the mood to bother with a small child. I'm building, she said. I see that. What is it? I asked, not really caring. Oh, I don't know. I just like the feel of sand in my hands. That sounds good, I thought, and slipped off my shoes. 
a sandpiper glided by. That's a joy, the child said. It's a what? It's a joy. My mama says that sandpipers come to bring us joy. The bird went gliding down the beach. Goodbye, joy, I muttered to myself. Hello, pain, and, and turned and walked on. I was depressed. My life seemed completely out of balance. What's your name? She wouldn't give up. Robert, I muttered. I'm Robert Peterson. Mine's Wendy. I'm six. Hi, Wendy. She giggled. You're funny, she said. In spite of my gloom, I laughed too and walked on. Her musical giggle followed me. Come again, Mr. P, she called. We'll have another happy day. After a few days of a group of unruly Boy Scouts, PTA meetings, and an ailing mother, the sun was shining one morning as I took my hands out of the dishwasher. I need a sandpiper, I said to myself, gathering up my coat. The ever-changing balm of the seashore awaited me. The breeze was chilly, but I strode along trying to recapture the serenity I needed. Hello, Mr. P, she said. Do you want to play? What did you have in mind, I asked, with a twinge of annoyance. I don't know. You say. How about charades? I asked myself sarcastically. The twinking laughter burst forth again. I don't know what that is. I, I, she said, I don't know what that is. Then let's just walk. Looking at her, I noticed the delicate fairness in her face. Where do you live, I asked. She said, over there. She pointed toward a row of summer cottages. Strange, I thought. I live there in the winter? Where do you go to school? I don't go to school. Mommy says I'm on holidays. She chattered little girl talk as we strolled up the beach. But my mind was on other things. When I left for home, Wendy said it had been a happy day. Feeling surprisingly better, I actually smiled at her and agreed. Three weeks later, I rushed to my beach in a state of near panic. I was in no mood to even greet Wendy. I thought I saw her mother on the porch and felt like demanding she keep her child at home. Look, if you don't mind, I said crossly when Wendy caught up with me. I'd rather be alone today. She seemed unusually pale and out of breath. Why, she asked. I turned to her and shouted, because my mother died. And I thought, oh, God, what was I saying to this little child? Oh, she said quietly, then this is a bad day. Yes, I said, and yesterday, and the day before, and, and go away. Did it hurt? She inquired. Did what hurt? I was exasperated with her, with myself. Did it hurt when she died? Of course it hurt. I snapped, misunderstanding wrapped up in myself. I strode off. A month or so after that, when I next went to the beach, she wasn't there. Feeling guilty, ashamed, and admitting to myself I missed her, I went up to the cottage after my walk and knocked at the door. A drawn-looking young woman with honey-colored hair opened the door. 
Hello, I said. I, I'm Robert Peterson. I missed your little girl today and wondered where she was. Oh, yes, Mr. Peterson. Please come in. Wendy spoke of you so much. I'm afraid I allowed her to bother you. If she was a nuisance, please accept my apology. Not at all. She's a delightful child, I said, suddenly realizing that I meant what I had just said. Wendy died last week, Mr. Peterson. She had leukemia. Maybe she didn't tell you. Struck dumb, I groped for a chair. I had to catch my breath. She loved the speech, so when she asked me to come, we couldn't say no. She seemed so much better here and had a lot of what she called happy days. But the last few weeks, she declined rapidly. Her voice faltered. Oh, she, she left something for you, Mr. Peterson, if I can only find it. Could you wait a moment while I look? I nodded stupidly, my mind racing for something to say to this lovely young woman. She handed me a smeared envelope with Mr. P, printed in bold childish letters. Inside was a drawing in bright crayon hues, a yellow beach, a blue sea, and a brown bird. Underneath was carefully printed a sandpiper to bring you joy. Tears welled up in my eyes and a heart that had almost forgotten to love opened wide. I took Wendy's mother in my arms. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I muttered it over and over and we wept together. The precious little picture is framed now and hangs in my study. Six words. One for each word, each year of her life that speak to me of harmony, courage, and understanding love. A, girf, a, a, a gift from a child with sea blue eyes and hair the color of sand. It says, who taught me the gift of love. I'm a, not a mean person. And I cry easy. And I ache for people who ache. I cry for people who are hurting. I moan for friends who have lost a loved one. We had Selah in our house because Nick and Lexi are gone. We'll be back tonight as we celebrate Lexi's birthday. And I treasured. Every second, 
as I've walked through death with so many people, and every single time it's reminded me life is a vapor. That's my favorite saying, actually. On the way to church today, I thank God that I'm still alive. And many people my age, at 68, many people have already gone. And it's not that that's a bad thing. It's just that I'm going to miss my kids. I really don't think that there's any way that we should hold grudges toward each other and be mean. There's enough of that. I'm overwhelmed all the time with, with even in just a, a small church like ours, I'm overwhelmed quite often with people's stories. I can barely make it past the, the front row. And sometimes in our busyness and all the things that we think are going on in our life, we fail to realize that there is glory. God's glory is revealed in blessing others. The summertime has an unusual way of destroying people. I've been doing ministry the same amount of time as I've been a pastor, and summertime takes people and distracts them. Every single year of ministry, I always wait for November to come to see who still worships in our church. And the devil distracts people, makes them think that there's something else out there that will satisfy. And I'm just here to testify to you today, there isn't. There isn't. I, can, I will never forget doing a baby funeral. And it was a young couple in our church that tried and tried and tried to have children, and they were not successful. And I understand this. And finally, a miracle happened, and they were able to give birth to a little boy. And he was the joy of their life. Not too long after he was born, they had him in a swing. They were in their bedroom on a Saturday morning making their bed and laughing. And didn't realize that he had fallen forward. His neck got caught on that tray in the front, and he couldn't breathe. They were only out of the room for about five or six minutes. They came back, and he was blue. I have never in my life seen such grief. The depths of grief were beyond any human comprehension. And I was just 25 years old, and I, I went to do the funeral, and there was this little wooden box with a baby laying in it and hundreds of pictures surrounding it and the moans and groans of parents. This is what I, this is what I learned out of that. Every day, every day, every day is a gift from God. Every single day. Why would we want to be mad at anybody? It also taught me that when someone loses a loved one, 
there is a grief beyond anything you could ever imagine. The Needhams and the Bowmans have a special significance to me because they grieve at a different level than any of us could ever imagine. We can learn a lot, even in grief. My admonition to myself and to all of you, because because this is the way <laughs> this is the way I think. I actually took a $72 million insurance policy out on my life for my wife, as did the other guys. And I'm going to take a million-dollar policy out on my life for the church if I die. Then there will be in, in no debt. Church will go on. Only problem with that, there's a lot of people hoping I die. <laughs> I had to stop the tears some way or another. No, I'm not going to give you any kind of invitation, and I know this has gone on longer than it should have. But do you know that you were in this room this morning because God loves you? Do you realize that? That you think that you just came, but God says you need healing. And there is a balm in Gilead that heals a sin-sick soul, that heals the hurting person, that wants to put salve on you right now. Receive it. And I'm not afraid. I used to be afraid to raise my hands, you know, in front of my kids even. But I, in, in such adoration of God, I, I, I can just feel him moving to tell you this morning, I'm here for you. I love you. It'll be okay. Soak in the glory of God today. Father, I pray in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus that you would heal our souls, that you would reunite us with those who perhaps have become distant, that we would reclaim the years the locusts have stolen and that the power of the name of Jesus, the glorious name of Jesus, would be lifted up as we leave. It's in his name, his healing name, that we pray together today. Amen. I would invite you to come today if you would like to be a part of my discipleship class. We're having an awesome time, amazing time. It's at uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon right here. And then we have Bible study tomorrow night. I don't leave till Tuesday night. So I'm around till Tuesday. Pastor Zach will preach next Sunday. I'll only be gone just one Sunday. And it'll be awesome. Thank you for coming today. God bless you.